Because if you saw the last dance last night, um, they were essentially saying in some of this documentary, what was that episode? Was it the second episode last night? Or was it the first episode last night? Whatever it was, they were saying that Michael Jordan essentially is the reason why this guy lost a political race because he didn't endorse him. Right? Isn't that worth saying? Pretty much. And Jordan, all Jordan said was he wasn't he wasn't going to endorse anybody, and just off the cuff, you know, around some of his own teammates saying Republicans buy sneakers too, and the some of the people in that documentary last night, the Last Dance, are saying that's the reason why the guy, one of the guys, what state, what state, I don't North remember, Carolina. North Carolina, lost a political race. Was it for the Senate? I don't even remember. I can't remember. All I know is that they were blaming Michael Jordan for this guy losing a political race because Michael Jordan wouldn't endorse or support anyone. Michael Jordan stayed neutral, didn't throw his endorsement on anything. And then basically he's being blamed of why this guy didn't win in a political race. And all Jordan really said was Republicans buy sneakers too, which is true. I I like his stance where he's like, I didn't really care. Yeah, I was just playing basketball. He's like, focus on basketball. And then they started comparing him to Muhammad Ali and whatnot. And what did Jordan say in that documentary? He's like, I'm not an activist. I'm a basketball player, and I've always viewed myself as a basketball player. And then I think what he said, the most important thing he said was, if you're looking for me at me for ideas and ideals, and you don't see him, maybe you're looking at the wrong guy when it comes to what you should believe in. See, I kind of think that's refreshing, right? Yeah, no well, it's one- like Charles Barkley said that too. I'm not a role model. No one's – they're not pushing anything on you. Yeah. They're not doing anything besides playing the game of basketball. And if you want to buy their sneakers, then, I don't know, use your – it's called being – it's capitalism. Go use your money to speak. Go buy your go buy his sneakers if you want. And if you don't, don't buy his sneakers. All Jordan said was, Republicans buy sneakers too. I'm not endorsing anyone. Because once you want 100% of the market, Nelly, and not 50% of the market, once you want the whole market, the whole market. Well, normally for sales wise, you'd want 100%. Yeah. You're going to have better numbers. Yeah. So. How about the, when they mentioned when they first signed him with Nike, though? How they were. Yeah. Isn't that in, crazy? In four years, they were hoping to sell 3 million sneakers. And in the first year, they sold 120 some million. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, what's crazy about that is Converse was the sneaker of the NBA. When you think Converse, do you think now, you know how old we are, when you think Converse, Nelson, what do you think? Do you even think the number one sneaker of the NBA? old school chucks. Yeah, do you ever even think basketball? Think about Converse? I know we're we're a younger generation. When I think about Converse and basketball, I think of like 1950s. (laughs) Yeah, when I think of Converse, I I think of pop punk, I think of punk artists, I think of um, you know, like the cool guy wearing the rolled up Levi jeans and the sneakers. I never think basketball when I think Converse. I do, to your point, old school basketball, like way back in the day. <laughs> so I'm looking at uh, right here. I brought up the top 10 NBA shoe endorsement deals. Uh huh. So remember, if you remember back to when he first signed with Nike, some people thought it was insane that he was getting $250,000. Yeah, because then the other guys get $150,000, they were saying, for Converse, like Larry Bird. and I think that's what they said in the documentary. But, yeah, continue. So it was $250,000 for that year or whatever. Yeah. Right now, Michael Jordan's number one on top 10 for NBA shoe endorsement deals, where he gets $130 million per year. Isn't that crazy? It's, it's so nuts to think about that the shoe of the NBA was Converse, Nike was just at the time a 
a track and field shoe. Michael Jordan, when you think of when you think of sneakers, Jordans. I mean, that's like number one. That's so it's iconic. Jordan didn't even want to go to Nike to hear their pitch. He was so against Nike. So he wanted Adidas. That was his deal he signed when he was a rookie. Yeah. So here's in comparison. Here's a rookie deal in today's NBA. Zion Williamson, fifteen million per year. Jesus. Michael Jordan started out at two hundred and fifty thousand. Isn't it nuts that his, he didn't even want to go hear what Nike had to say? And he was a rookie in the NBA. That's how little respect Nike gained Nike around the league. Jordan didn't even want to go hear their pitch. His mom made him do it. And then after they heard it, they're like, oh, okay. Well, the, in the documentary, they're talking about how Nike was a startup and mostly just for track athletes. Yeah, it's nuts. Crazy. And now... Now wow. look at Nike. Talking a little bit about the last dance that aired last night, 10-part series about Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls. Episodes 5 and 6 were last night. At 9 o'clock today, Eric Helland, he is going to join us to talk about it because he was with the Chicago Bulls for 25 years, all through the glory years for the two three-peats, all the winning, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, everything. He was there for it. So he's going to join us at 9 o'clock. He's going to break it down for us because he was like a fly on the wall. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And before break, we were talking about <laughs> sneakers and how Converse was the sneaker of the NBA for Bird and Magic and, you know, all those guys. And then Jordan comes in, didn't even want to meet with Nike as a rookie, didn't even want to go hear their pitch. Because they were just a track and field shoe. His mom said, you're going to go there. You don't have to say yes, but you're going to go there and you're going to listen. Well, they wowed him. They gave him, what, $250,000 for his rookie deal, Nelly? And what did you say it's worth now? Well, according to this from February 26, 2020, he's still the highest endorsing NBA shoe guy at $130 million per year. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that nuts? Well, what about how... Adidas, because he loved Adidas shoe. Yeah, loved Adidas. Didn't want to be with Nike yeah. at all. Loved Adidas. How about how Adidas said, "No, nah, we can't really fit you." In. Yeah, we can't. I mean, we can't do it. Think they regret that? I, I, <laughs> I think so. So Michael Jordan, Nelly, I loved it in the documentary last night. The first shoes he ever had his rookie year, the Air Jordan ones. If you look at those things, if you look at those things now, and you didn't know the backstory of them, would you think they're basketball shoes? No, but when when he was wearing them, especially when they showed him earlier in the documentary, when he in the early '80s, yeah, when he first started wearing them, he made them look cool. Oh like my Michael, god, so cool! Michael Jordan made the shoe look cool. There's like, nothing like it. Like he could look cool in them, yeah. Playing basketball, I would put them on and look like a knob, like totally. And I would put them on and look like a knob as well. Then he wears them. His the first game he ever played at the Garden, he's rocking the Air Jordan ones. Then in the 97-98 season, he thinks it's his last time at the Garden, and he rocks his original Air Jordan 1s. I love how he's just chirping at Tony Kukoc, too, like <laughs> talking how crazy Kukoc shoes are looking. And then he's looking at his Air Jordan 1s, like time forgot about him. And at the end of the game, his feet are bleeding. I'll strike that. At halftime, his feet are bleeding. <laughs> and he dropped like a ton of points. And I quote, I didn't want to take them off because I was having a good game. Yeah, but your feet are bleeding. And here you are dropping 40-something. The Air Jordan 1s, iconic. He goes from Nike 
not wanting to hear their pitch of getting $250,000 to now when they release Jordans, people kill each other for them. I'm not even kidding. There's a line around the block and people will straight up murder each other for them. They even had celebrities in there saying how they would work. It's nuts. Do their chores as little kids to save up enough money to go buy them. Yeah. From, you know, Spike Lee doing the commercials for the Jordans. You even got Justin Timberlake on there saying we'd go wash dishes, do all our chores just to get our new fresh pair of Air Jordans. I never had any J's. I had one pair. What'd you have? Which ones? A newer version. They weren't basketball shoes. Yeah. It was like more of a casual. Oh, I take that back. I had one pair of Jordans, but they were a casual, like, yeah. uh, like a cloth casual shoe. They were pretty legit, though. They were comfy. Air Jordans, man. From $250,000 for a year deal as a rookie to now the top endorser ever. All because of shoes. Or I should say all because he played a, a game at a high level. I saw this over the weekend. That was Friday, actually, before we headed on out of here. I had to uh, raise an eyebrow because I was so taken aback that this team was ranked this high. F- uh, football Power Index preseason top 10 was released. All uh, four of last year's playoff teams are in the top 10. And here's the twist. Both Rose Bowl participants, Ro- both Rose Bowl participants in the schools that won the Sugar and Cotton Bowls are in there. So the Football Power Index, Clemson is number one. Ohio State, the Buckeyes are number two. Alabama, number three. Coming in at number four for the Football Power Index preseason top ten, your Wisconsin Badgers. Number four in the nation for the preseason football power index. My, d- did I get stung by a hornet and I'm delirious? What's I, happening? Yeah, I don't know. The people that put those polls together definitely bumped their head. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's if that. I like I. Wisconsin. What lost. is the power index based off of for preseason power? <laughs> Power, I would RJ. say for me, it's isn't it basically like their rankings, like a yeah. way too early ranking, right? But I mean, it's the Badgers lost their best five players last, yeah. last year's team. I, but Jack Cohn is a secret weapon that nobody knows about. Hell yeah, just let him throw more than five yards on the field. <laughs> um, yeah, that one's puzzling to me. You lose Jonathan pretty much Taylor, your whole offense. Quintez Cephas, Tyler um, Biotish on defense. You lose. Zach Bond and Chris Orr. Yeah, okay, so as... the Power Football rating, Power Football Index rating is composed of uh, predictive offense, offensive defense, and special teams value as measured by a function of expected points added. The rating is the basis for FPI's game level and season level projections. You lost four guys that were drafted and one that signed instantly after the draft. Yeah, I, it's, I mean, it's awesome that they're there. I just they're don't fourth. understand it. You're, dude. I mean, I saw this. I'm like, there better be college football. Very little stats. (laughs) If there's not college football, I'm going to freak out. This is bad juju. The Badgers are ranked fourth. Last time they were ranked fourth, they won seven games. Yeah. And it wasn't a shortened season. (laughs) (laughs) That was it. They only played seven. (laughs) So think about this before we hit the break here. And think about this, boys. Clemson is number one. Ohio State is number two. Ellie Bama is number three. Wisconsin 4, Georgia 5, LSU 6, Penn State 7, Oregon 8th, Auburn 9th, and Oklahoma 10th. 
for your preseason top ten in the FPI football power index. Yeah. You guys are taking this as like a negative light, I feel like. I think it is. They're like <laughs> yeah. getting ranked based off of last season heading into the next season where we don't know who the running back's going to be. Don't you want to uh, start your season out on a good foot like this? You though? don't know who your number one wide receiver is. Don't you want to be, be ranked this high right away? Three receivers with yeah. Quintez Cephas. Why are you guys hating AJ on this? Taylor graduating and yeah. uh, why do you why why is this a bad thing? I'm not saying it's a bad. Don't you want to be just, starting your season out ranked alongside the likes of Clemson, yeah, it Ohio gives State, you, it Alabama, gives you a better Georgia? chance. You of, get a jumping even with off point. One loss, you're going to be you have a shot at the college football. Yeah. So playoff. why are you guys like doom but and gloom about this? Because it in. The you don't history want them to of go Wisconsin. to the college playoffs? In the history of Wisconsin, when they start off high, they don't do well. Yeah, but you're starting off high. You got the people looking at you right away. What if you have a good season? Then you have a chance to get into the college playoffs better. That's awesome. But there's too much uncertainty with his team wow. right now to even justify them being that high. I'm surrounded by I'm surrounded by negative Nancy's Plus, doubters. When they're, when they're up there at number four, they'll finish with like four losses. Yeah. Are you guys listening to this? I'm surrounded by negative Nancys on a Monday here. Fourth in the nation, and I hear hate from RJ and Nelson. Where's the hate? You guys don't want them to start this high? You, no, you, that's you claim... not what I said at all. I said it's awesome that they're there. You guys haven't even said one positive just, about it yet. I just did. Besides, it's awesome, it's awesome <laughs> that they're there. Hey, you say that you're a Aaron Rodgers realist. Right now, we're being Wisconsin Badger football well, we got realists. Some, we got some time to talk about it, then. We'll be right back. Right now. I'm operating under the stance that it's going to happen. I'm like the NFL right now. NFL is going to release their schedule this week. They say everything's going to happen on time. Everything's scheduled to, to go. There might be some, some contingency plans, but they're releasing the schedule this week. Everything's normal. They're not even changing preseason games right now. And um, what they're going to do is I think the only difference thing is one league source said Sunday on uh, yesterday that he doesn't think there will be any international games this year. Which is fine. Did you guys even really like the international games? Not really. The only benefit to it was right when you wake up, you can you turn football. football on. You have football. Yeah. All right, so I'm operating under the under the belief that college football also right now, despite some athletic directors saying that it could be delayed, and uh, Bob yeah, Bullsby, I mean, Big 12 commissioner, saying that they're going to do a split schedule. No, 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 no. Wasn't the one guy <laughs> from Baylor, too? Like, he probably wanted the program not to play after some of the sanctions that came well, down. And, to your and point, Especially because yes. their coach left. There's two programs that are, I think are hoping and praying that there is no college football. Michigan State and Baylor. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure because they're a bunch of scumbags. And they don't want the college football to go on and have that sideshow that they bring to the table, not be uh, Baylor's full force. Baylor's been getting better. Yeah, but since Matt Rule got there. Which is no longer there. But it's now Dave Aranda. Yeah, Dave Aranda. Getting, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, he's taking his paid home for the full. first time. All right, so I brought up the fo- uh, football power index, preseason top 10. Number 10 is Oklahoma, 9 Auburn, 8 Oregon, 7 Penn State, 6 LSU, 5 is Georgia. Number 4, your Wisconsin Badgers, 3 Alabama, 2 Ohio State, and 1 Clemson. Now, I will say when I saw this revealed, I did think Wisconsin was ranked pretty high. Oh, Oh. Fourth, fourth in the nation, <laughs> but you guys take it in a negative light. I take it in a positive light because when you start the college football year out, you want to be talked about in the top ten. You want to be talked about in the likes of qualifying for the college football playoffs. You want to start out on the good foot in your season because it's easier to possibly get to the college football playoffs if you live up to expectations. Absolutely. Then it we both being said that. not. We both. And then said- you guys are like, "This is terrible. These guys suck." 
Last time had, they did this. Last time they did this, they finished seven and five. There's blah 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 blah. They barely beat Cal Poly San Luis so, Obispo. Explain to me why you guys think this is a negative light for Wisconsin. Because you're only going to be disappointed when they lose multiple games. Yeah. If they have a season like they did this past season, yeah. and they started out at number four, number five. So you guys just want to throw the towel in right no, no, away no. and give up? People will will just bitch about it the whole time. Because you didn't meet expectations. Because you didn't meet the expectations of being the number four team in the country. Even though you were the seventh best team So you guys country. would prefer if they weren't even top ten? No, that's not what I'm saying. What would you prefer they be ranked then? I'd I'd much rather have them start in the top ten because I, it I prefer- makes it it makes it easier to have a loss and become a, a still playoff so, eligible team. Okay, there we go. There we go. Give me the good part. Right, my only good. complaint is I, just I wish they could have been ranked higher. Right. I just don't understand with how they got to four. How you get to four with Same, what? Same, but I'll take it with the with the roster you have moving into next year. Our sports director Zach Heilprin. Zach, what's up, dude? Great transition. You like that? <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're the pro, man. That's, that's a pros pro transition right there, my man. You watched the it. last dance? I assume you did. I did, yeah. What was your takeaways on uh, the two episodes yesterday, last night? Yeah, obviously, uh, no one likes Isaiah Thomas, but I don't think that's probably news. Yeah, we've known that for a long time. I mean, you don't you don't get left off the dream team being as good as he was (laughs) if people if people like you, you know. So, yeah, yeah, that 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 stood out. Um, You know, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot. uh, The gambling stuff, like I knew a lot about that. There wasn't a whole lot of new information there last night, but. Um, again, it's it's just so well done that I was still captivated for all two hours. Same. I was captivated, but I felt like the last two episodes that just aired were the more subdued of the first uh, four that it aired. I felt like they were like, yeah, I kind of know this stuff. It's nice to see a little peek in. And like, man, everyone really hates Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> yeah, not, not, not enough Dennis Rodman, obviously, too. Yeah, oh, or, you know what the, where's Carmen Electra? I need a little more Carmen, too. Right. The, also, the, the footage of the practice of them going at each other was good. Too. That was really cool. That's something I yeah. really didn't know about, but that was really cool of yeah. how they were just, oh, man, I couldn't imagine just being a fly in the wall for that practice. Anyways, can't wait to talk to Eric Allen about it, too, coming up at 9. So uh, he's a fountain of information for that. But, Zach, speaking of fountain of information, another great transition right there. You brought up an awesome Twitter poll. So I saw this break on Friday that ESPN's their fo- uh, football power index, they had the Wisconsin Badger football team Fourth in the nation, Clemson one, Ohio State two, Alabama three, Wisconsin four. What was your takeaway when you saw that? Georgia five, yeah. LSU six. What was your takeaway when you saw that break? Yeah, it's it's the uh, wasn't it the chance the chance that they have a they could make the college football playoff that was was right. It was yeah, a thirty three to thirty three and a half percent. I think it was. Yeah. Again, I, I I and all the way to early polls have them in the top fifteen. Some have them in the top ten. I just I just think they have so many questions that and. Cousins, we're not going to get answers to, obviously, until who knows when they come back on campus, right? So spring would have been significant. But, you know, who's your running back? Who's the guy that's going to step up for Quintez, Cephas? you got three interior line positions that you got to replace. Uh, defensively, your two biggest playmakers and Chris Orr and Zach Bond are not back. Uh, obviously, we're back nine other starters. But um, there, there are so many questions that I'm I, – I just think it's it, they're so high for having that many questions. It's pretty um, crazy, but it's, it's a good thing though. It's it, don't you want to be talked in that light to start the season off because it gives you a little advantage to possibly making the call if everything kind of goes your way of making the college football playoffs at the end of the year. When's the last time Wisconsin's lived up to expectations? 
Um, you know what I mean? Usually like they do usually, better when they're under the radar. It usually goes the other way around, right? Yeah. It usually goes the other way around. But eventually uh, this narrative has to change. If Wisconsin wants to be the program with their target on their back, like you know people above them in this list, like the Ohio sure. States, like the Alabama, they need this. This is a good thing. Sure. And even but here's the thing: even if they had all the answers possible, they still have to go to Michigan. They still have to play Notre Dame. Obviously, up at Lambeau, they get Minnesota. That's a three-week stretch or a three-game stretch. You know, at Michigan, home to Notre Dame, home to Minnesota. That to me could be, you know, very deciding. And then they finish up at Iowa. So, like, the schedule's not exactly easy either. Um, they haven't won in Michigan in a long time. I think 2010. So, yeah, I mean, they, they're. It's not just that they have questions. It's that the schedule's not easy either. And um, we just don't know what this. The other thing is, we just have no idea what the season's going to look like at this point. Yeah, and then that's a big part of it all. Is like, will we have college football? Will there be fans in the stands? Where will yeah. it be a split season? Yada yada yada. So, Zach, what is the most glaring issue for Wisconsin right now? When you know they've lost a lot to the draft and to graduation, what is their biggest, in your opinion, the biggest question mark they have surrounding the team? Who's their guy on offense? Who's the face of the offense? I mean. Some that would suggest that it's Jack Cohn. I was going to ask but, that. Like, can I say, it, is, is it Jack Cohn? And you know, Jack played well at times last year, but is that a good thing? That he's the face. I mean, I, you tell me. Is there anybody else that would be the face of the offense? I don't. I can't I, think of him right don't, now. I don't. It would be, in my opinion, is Jack Cohn. Yeah. So again, and that's Jack kind played, of scary for a Wisconsin team, right? Who's predicated it, on running backs? It, it has to be considering. I think that there's. There's some that had had their bench spring practice. I'm not going to point to anybody, um, though my finger's pointed at me right now, that had they had a spring practice, I think Graham Mertz and him, there would have been a competition for the starting job. So, I don't know. It, it'll be it'll be interesting. How, they have to find their playmakers. So, it, you know, who's, who cares who's the face of it? They need to find playmakers on offense. They lost their, their biggest playmakers in Jonathan Taylor and Quinton Cephas, and they need to find guys who are going to be able to step up and, and make plays. We saw... When Quintez wasn't there in 2018, you know AJ Taylor had his best season, but you know there weren't there weren't a whole lot of other guys stepping up and making plays on a regular basis, and some of that had to do with the inconsistency at quarterback. There's no doubt about that, but um, they need to find playmakers on offense. Yeah, do, do you? I mean, look above them. Three is Alabama, two Ohio State, one Clemson, Wisconsin. Are are they capable right now of beating the likes of an Alabama or Ohio State or a Clemson on a neutral field? The only the only team relevant in that situation is Ohio State because you're going to have to yeah. Ohio State to make the college football playoff unless you unless you go undefeated unless you go 12 and 0 heading into the Big Ten championship game and then there's you know and you don't get the doors beat off you by the Buckeyes then maybe you can make it but otherwise you're going to have to beat Ohio State and that hasn't ha- that also hasn't happened in quite some time uh, I believe 2010 yeah, was that the last so, time yeah, the uh, when they when they were number one. Oh yeah, you know it's been a really really long time. They, they've given them some games. Obviously, we're up on them big in the in the Big Ten championship game. Just going to hold it, but yeah, I, I just there, there are so many questions that it, it's startling to see them that high. Yeah, I mean, I, I take it. I, I think it is a good thing, obviously, but. Nelson had said it that last time they started like that. What did they finish? What was it, Rowdy? Seven and five. Seven and five. So well, no. And you think, again, I don't. There's no, there's no chance that they're going to start in the polls in the top five in the country. There's, there's, that's not going to happen. So this is, this is ESPN's FBI, you know, uh, computer. But are they going to be in the top fifteen? Yeah, most definitely, and potentially in the top ten. But 
this isn't this isn't 2017 where they're going to start in the top five. This isn't 2000 where they're going to start in the top five. But yeah, expectations are are pretty high. All right, how about expectations here? Like your Twitter poll right now. So we covered Wisconsin football. Now uh, Joe Lunardi has the Badgers, the basketball team that is as a two seed in his 2021 bracketology. Very early, obviously, but. And your poll, I love your poll, Zach. What's more likely to happen, that the football team makes the college football playoffs, the Badgers make the Final Four, both or neither? Um, could you tell me why you think possibly? Because right now, in second place in your Twitter poll, Badgers making the Final Four for basketball is garnering 33% of the vote, with neither being in first place. But why yeah, could we right. see the Badgers making the Final Four? Yeah, if I were to answer my old poll question, I would say neither. But uh, I'll, My burner account will vote that for you, okay? What's that? What's that? <laughs> One of my burners will vote that for you. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, yes. Okay. Thank you. My burner will also be voted that way. Okay. Uh, but Good. no, the, if, if you force me to pick, pick, uh, to pick between the two teams, I would certainly take basketball. There's no doubt about that. Obviously, Brevin Pritzel was a huge part of their success in the final eight games of the year, but he's the only one that's gone. And, you know, I'm excited to see what it's going to look like with, uh, you know, another year for, um, for Michael Potter, another year. Hell yeah. You know, all these guys started playing well towards the end of the year. Dimitri Trice. It all kinds of coincides uh, when Davidson. when Kobe King was no longer on the team. They kind of like gelled a little more. I felt like. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I just I think that you know that's always hard to replicate that that kind of um, chemistry within a locker room. But all these guys are coming back. The others are going to be adding five guys to it, including you know a couple of really nice players like a Ben Carlson or Johnny Davis, uh, you know, being able to add those guys into the mix and give them even a little bit more depth. So I would, I would say that would be the team that if they're going to, if one of these two teams is going to make it to the final weekend of the year, it would be, or that not the final weekend, but the final four sure. of their respective sport, it would be basketball in my mind. Yeah, I can't, man, I just hope something happens here for sports. Now I just see this, the Big Ten has again extended its suspension of its school organized team activities until June 1st. I don't know, this must be just it happened, so... And now it's even further. How much does this hurt the football program when you can't get, you know, spring under your belt and some of these, you know, organized activities? How much does this, in your opinion, hurt the football team? I I, I, also, I think it's significant. You, I don't know. I'm sure you guys, when you've talked with Matt Bernstein here these last few weeks, <laughs> he's always he's always said that he hated spring practice. Yeah, he said they were just screwing it, around. Yeah, it meant nothing for upperclassmen, and that may definitely be true, but. Um, I'm sure it's true because he, he said it. He said it. He said it. So, <laughs> You've never lied uh, to us, but, right? Yeah, he, he's brutally honest. So I would, but I, so for upperclassmen, yeah, it doesn't matter much. But Wisconsin had a lot of younger guys that needed that time, you know, especially at running back, especially at wide receiver, quarterback, uh, especially along the offensive line. Like, there's a lot of guys that needed to be able to come and play, and they didn't get that opportunity, and. You know, you're still working out at home, but it's not anywhere close. You're not getting the drills and all that type of stuff. So um, that hurts. Yeah. And we don't know when they're going to be back on campus. Wisconsin's campus is closed until June 30th at the earliest right now. So uh, in terms of, you know, even being there. So even like even if the Big Ten said, yeah, they still couldn't do that. Wisconsin couldn't. Um, it's it's kind of like the, you know, it's kind of, there are some campuses that are going to be reopening on June 1st or, or earlier than that. Uh, and you know, even Iowa said that they hope to be back open by June 1st. Yeah. There's going to be some inequity uh, here in terms of, you know, different conferences being allowed to, to get guys back on campus. And Wisconsin's going to be at a uh, at a loss there. It's kind of kind of like the Bucks, 
where you know you got some teams being able to open up their facilities as early as this Friday. And right now, Wisconsin State home orders in place until May 26. Now, again, it doesn't have to stay in place until May 26. It could come, it could come off earlier than that, and maybe they could make a special exception to allow the Bucks uh, an opportunity to do the same thing as other NBA teams. But there's there's uh, some inequality going on, you know, and Wisconsin I think is going to be. Uh, hurt by it yeah. a little bit. We're living in the den. Again, we're living in the den of iniquity right now, Halprin. Again, it is what it is. Yeah. If if Governor Tony Evers is a true Bucks fan, he'll he'll let him go to their facilities. Zach Halprin <laughs> joining us right now uh, on the Joan Evo Show, our sports director. Zach, I want to just change kind of gears to football here. We've had oh, almost two weeks. To, you know, to think about it. What was uh, your final? Are you feeling any differently about the Packers draft uh, that was? We all. I mean. Everyone's trying to come to grips with it and trying to talk themselves into it being. No, it's fine. It's okay. It'll. It's. It'll. It'll. It'll be fine. And, you know. But <laughs> like the Badgers, they just have a lot of questions that they that they did not answer in the draft, and yeah. or maybe they did answer them by uh, how they drafted. Maybe questions that we have that they don't particularly have, specifically at their wide uh, wide receiver spot, and you know at their. Uh, inside linebacker spot. Dude, how great but, was the signing on defensive line, though? They signed the guy that caused Cody Parkey's double doink. Yeah, that's going to really help. I can't wait to see how much that's going to help them against the 49ers run game. That's going <laughs> to be significant, really significant. Oh, um, man, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that, that is how much feeling about the draft. They still, it still doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, I understand what – here's the thing. Like, I understand why they did it, but I just don't necessarily agree with it. Some of their some of the decisions, but again, that's why Brian Gutekunst is the uh, the general manager. We're not, yeah. So Zach, I um, would say it's it's going to be an improvement with uh, Hester if he even just gets a finger on it, like that double doink, because the you know Packers defensive line didn't even touch a running oh, back just, against San Francisco. So it'd be a little bit of an improvement. <laughs> yeah, just slightly, just slightly, <laughs> just the, the double doink, and then just finally the I see uh, just just the tip, just to see how it feels, and finally. It's, you know, of course, double doink. And Zach, the NFL, by all reports, still releasing the schedule this week. What do you think of that? Like the NFL is saying, COVID nineteen, double birds, f you. We're going on without you. Uh, schedule being released. Uh, Thank God. Yeah. Do you, do you think you're holding on hope for football? Is that our last remaining, you know, faith here? They're going to play. They're going to play. Right. They're, I mean, they they may get delayed, but they're going to play. There's, there's they're a, too powerful. They, they're, well, there's too much money there, and. Um, I think we're all tired of it, right? Even though we My understand God, yes. how, how serious it is and everything like that, I think another month and a half of this, there's going to be it's it, it's going to be impossible to keep people it's going to it's going to be impossible to keep people inside by then and then you'll definitely be my flag man when i take the top off my jeep hell yeah yeah yeah, yeah for sure yep uh-huh. i'm going to get that giant not, flag from uh, off the, the belt line from that car dealership you yeah, better start yeah, doing some the, curls right now to hold that flag up yeah yeah just not the flag that uh, no 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 this is know, red white and blue 50 stars ride the one off yeah, the belt yeah. line there it'll be beautiful what what kind of what kind of uh, no no stars and your, bars does your jeep? I, I feel like your jeep kind of probably looks like Dixie. No 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 no, it's just uh it's like a nice <laughs> little um just it's just all white, it's just a white jeep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh really? Just a white jeep? All white. Really? Nice little candy paint, little chrome on it. You know, looking good. Just an all white jeep. Yep. Take okay. it with what you will. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Zach. Thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. All right, see all you, right, man. There he is, Zach Halper, our sports director, joining us. My soon-to-be flag man. All right, so Rodgers carries a $51 million dead cap hit in 2020. 
The number falls to $31.5 million in 2021. And then in 2022, 17.2 mil. And then in 2023, his dead cap hit is 2 million, 2.8 million. Aaron Rodgers' dead cap hit in 2022. I'm sorry, in 2023 is 2.8 million. That's his dead cap hit, Rowdy. Yep. Kirk Cousins, he signed three more seasons with the Vikings, including 2020. He carries a 62 million dead cap hit in 2020. It falls to 41 mil in 2021 and 10 million in 2022. So by the 2022 season, the financial cost of the Packers cutting Rodgers and the Vikings cutting Kirk Cousins is insanely greatly reduced. By 2023, Cousins will be a free agent and the cost of cutting Rodgers will be like I said, 2.8 mil. The timeline adds up for Aaron Rodgers for Kirk Cousins to be done with the Minnesota Vikings and Aaron Rodgers only costing $2.8 million to say, see ya, and I know of cutting from the Green Bay Packers. Rob Reichel has come on these airwaves and mentioned how they might be able to do it the year before, yeah. as in cut Aaron Rodgers and eat the dead cap of $17 million. I still feel like that's a lot that's of money. That's a lot of money to that's eat. That's still a lot of money that you'd have to eat. You'd have to be so sure on Jordan Love. That's a lot of money. I feel like we guarantee, guaranteed we'd have three years of Rodgers left before yes. they... Potentially well, I could see in 2023 him. of Aaron Rodgers getting the boot. Especially, yeah, because it's such a low dead. It's 2.8 mil. Yeah, it's not a ton. 2.8 mil. Kirk Cousins would be a free agent. He'd be off of the Vikings. And then we already mentioned earlier, the Bears are always looking for a quarterback. Don't let those diehard Bear fans tell you that they're all right with Mitchell Trubisky. So now the Miami Dolphins, yeah, by the way, what did the Bears do with Trubisky? They didn't pick up his fifth-year option. Poor True. Which doesn't mean he's officially done, but now he definitely is going to have to beat out Nick Foles. (laughs) If the Bears and Ryan Pace, if they had any cojones, they would say, we believe in you, Mitch. Here's here's the fifth – we're picking up the option, and you're going to be our long-term quarterback. Pace, you, your career's tied to him. You've got to ride it out. Well, he basically just told him, prove it. Prove it or you're gone. Or you're gone. What, which, isn't that so rare to not pick up the fifth-year option? Which the meeting would probably be more like Pace calls him into his office, sits him down, asks him if he wants anything to drink, and then just gives him the, all right, our futures are tied to this. Yeah. You have one season. Do you think if uh, the opportunity comes when they, you know, if Pace has got to tell Trubisky that he, he's cut, does Pace just then go into the mirror and fire himself? <laughs> hey, Mitch, you're cut. And, oh, one second. Let me pull out this pocket mirror. Oh, and Ryan, you're fired too. Uh, Mitch, we're not going to be offering you a new contract. You're going to become a free agent. <laughs> And I will also be shown the door in about five minutes yeah. after this because I have a meeting with the owner. Yeah, and I will be showing myself the door because I'm an idiot. All right, so the Dolphins took an $18.4 million dead cap hit when they traded for Ryan Tannehill to the Titans. The Giants ate $16 mil to trade Odell Beckham Jr. The Steelers ate $21.1 mil to move on from Antonio Brown. Do you think, as Rob Reichel, who has joined us from time to time, talking about Rodgers and his contract, do you think the Packers, if they are that much in love in 2022 – they would eat $17.2 million to move on from Rodgers. See, I think the difference with those teams, though, outside of Pittsburgh, but I feel like Pittsburgh had a valid reason yes. with Antonio Brown just going completely insane. I think very valid there. Uh, the other guys, they were on teams that were bad. Yes. So they could eat the money. And it, they, yeah. they really didn't have high. I know Eli Manning was still there in New York when they 
ate Odell Beckham's contract, but at the same time, they weren't winning anything. They knew they weren't going to win anything or compete. Or I think the Packers would hopefully, hopefully as a Packer fan and the Packer organization would be saying, we're still going to be competing during this time. I don't know if they would want to eat that much money. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. And then I'm looking at this article here. Uh, this guy from the Star Tribune, who definitely, definitely needs sports back as bad as we do, because he's talking about Brett Favre coaching Aaron Rodgers with the Minnesota Vikings. It's just disgusting. He said, consider that the Vikings do not have a likely successor for Cousins. Consider that the relationship between Favre and Rodgers, once awkward at best, has evolved into something like a friendship. Favre could tell Rodgers about the positives of playing in Minnesota and the thrill of beating the Packers' brain trust that shunned him. Consider that in the NFL, great quarterbacks wind up in the oddest places. Could you, could you... Why do we need something like that being written now? Out of all the times that have it come up. Well, I'm, I think it's because the Packers traded up and got it a quarterback named Jordan Love. I know, but why did everything else have to be going on? <laughs> we have nothing else to talk about. There's a thing called COVID-19. Um, now we're talking about Rodgers being a bear or a Viking. And murder hornets. Even though he's still under contract for four more years. Well, you never thought Brett Favre would end up with the Vikings, did you? No, I never, I never did. But I actually did enjoy those matchups. Made those matchups that much more fun. Would you would you enjoy a Rodgers as donning the Vikings uniform to play the Packers? <laughs> would you you enjoyed the Favre matchups, right? I did. Would you enjoy the Rodgers matchups? See, the thing was though, at that time, obviously Brett Favre was my favorite Packer of all time. He still is. Same. I may have been rooting for Brett Favre to stick it no, to the Packers. No, you weren't that guy. I may have been in that camp. Of course you were I was were like, win-win. Of course you were that guy. I don't think I would be the same, though, for Rodgers. Oh. I don't have the same kind of love and favorite all right. player of all time. I'm going to come clean. I never really said this before. This is something I have to get off my chest. It's been eating at me for years. When Brett Favre went to the Minnesota Vikings... A tiny part of me also rooted for Yeah, him. exactly. It, but I, I never wanted every, the Packers to lose. I think every single person that was a Green Bay Packers fan that Brett Favre was their favorite player, at least a part of them rooted for Brett Favre to win and stick it to the Packers because they were still pissed off that the Packers let him go. I didn't want the, I didn't want the Packers to lose. Every single person should say a little bit of them had that. I didn't want the Packers to lose, but... A if, part of me. If you didn't have a part of you, you're a liar. A part of me in my heart of hearts was like, you know what? Damn it, Brett Favre. I just love you, dude. I just can't help but cheer for Brett Favre. And when, when they were playing the Saints, I was rooting for the Vikings to go to the Super Bowl. No, I never reached that point. I never got to that. When Brett Favre threw the interception against the Saints, I forgave Brett Favre right then and there. When he threw that interception and all Viking Nation freaked out and and – you know, we had to have people talking everyone off the ledge in Minneapolis. When Brett Favre threw the interception, I said, Brett Favre, I forgive you. I forgive you for putting on the Vikings uniform. I forgave him right then and there, instantly. Honestly, I don't. I feel like you didn't have to forgive him for anything. If, if a guy was pushing me out the door and I was basically a long-tenured player and one of the best players in the franchise history... <laughs> I would want to stick it to that guy, too, and do the exact same thing that Brett Favre did. Now, I will say, if Aaron Rodgers does go to the Minnesota Vikings, I will not be rooting for Rodgers like I did for Brett Favre, to be completely honest. 
I, yeah, I wouldn't. I, I would wouldn't want the Packers that. to absolutely pummel him. We were talking about this with Rob Reichel. We were just talking about um, earlier today, though, about this article coming out from Minneapolis about a, you know, a Star Tribune um, writer. What was his name? Jim Suhan saying that the Aaron Rodgers could play for the Vikings. It's not out of the realm of possibility either. Rob Reichel, who was talking to us earlier, and what have everyone else been saying? Them drafting Jordan Love is a sign that Aaron Rodgers, the window's closing, he's going to be out sooner rather than later. I think we all can see the writing on the wall. Would Aaron Rodgers ever ask for a trade? Would Aaron Rodgers ever get cut? What do you think? I think I think he would ask for a trade, wouldn't you? I mean, he's like, really I don't th- gotten that much help. I don't think he would do it this year, especially with the weird situation, how strange just how strange that draft was and they were so close. And then you have the COVID-19 stuff thrown in it. I don't think I could see him asking for a trade this year, but say the season does play. They obviously didn't get him much help and the offense is pretty average once again. Yeah. I think, I think we could see him ask for a trade. I mean, I never, I, I never thought Brett Favre would be going anywhere. I never thought Tom Brady would be playing for the freaking Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And especially if in the 2021 draft, they don't really go get him a receiver. And it's obvious that MVS, Jake Kumro, St. Brown, you know, all those guys can't play. Mm-hmm. And they still don't go out and get someone. I think it's easy that you'd see him ask for a trade. Now, do I think he'd be traded? That'd be a little more difficult because of the salary cap hit. Yes. You'd have to find like a team that's willing to commit to an older player for a lot of money and then give up a lot of picks. So it might be hard to find that partner, but I think he would be willing to ask for a trade. I, I'm right there with you. He did have that Instagram post earlier, Rowdy, with the hashtag relax on it and him throwing the hang loose. Well, that was literally just him relaxing and chilling on a mountain range. See, I give it I give it one year, and if this year is not very good and they go like 9-7 and seven and he still doesn't have any help... I think he's going to start the far. You better get me weapons or I'm going to get the hell out of here. And you know what's going to happen. They're not going to get him weapons. And then he's going to get the hell out of there. But that's the thing. I don't get why they wouldn't at least draft someone in the next, this year, next year. But didn't we because say that about, the, about Brett Favre this Jordan, time too? Jordan Loves is going to need weapons too. He's not going to make St. Brown and well, MBS here's the thing. and Kumro better either. If Jordan Love studies history, he's going to realize the Packers are never going to draft them weapons. They never drafted... In the first round, anyways. So here's the king on Twitch that goes, Packers should trade Rodgers for three receivers. But here's the thing. <laughs> then they want to have a quarterback. What do you mean? Jordan Love, the heir apparent. Big arm. I'll give you the landing spots. You want to spots. see that as a rookie? As a 21-year-old rookie? Not really. Going out there just chucking it around? Not really. Well, he wouldn't be chucking it too far. He'd be throwing it to DeGuara, the H-back constantly. Be right to the tight end every time. Young quarterback's best friend. Yeah, well, they say that uh, LaFleur system's a timing system, so it'd be no deep threats. It'd be a lot of 5- to 10-yard routes. When's Devontae say he wants out, too? All right, 608-321-1670. coming up soon. It is. People are saying, oh, man, they drafted his heir apparent. He's got to be feeling, you know, the pressure. It's like they like like what they did for Brett Favre when Rodgers came in, and now Love's coming in for Rodgers like he did for Favre. So our guy Rob Reichel, threw out ideas for potential landing spots for Aaron Rodgers. And let me let me pick your brain a little bit on him. He, number five for Rob Reichel, the Chicago Bears. You could see that happening, couldn't you? I mean, I mean, I couldn't see it happening, but I could see the Bears wanting him. Historically good defense, 
always looking for a quarterback. Always. Well, by the way, Jay Cutler letting Kristen Cavallari, his now ex-wife, know <laughs> who's boss in this relationship, who makes the money. Could what you imagine want? asking your significant other after a divorce, can you please buy me a $5 million yeah. house? Hey, honey, I'm going to divorce you a day later. Oh, can I have five mil? I need to buy a house. No. Cuddy said no. And what did he tell her? Go get a job? Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Uh, number four for Aaron Rodgers, the Las Vegas Raiders. I don't, I don't, really I don't see, see that one. I don't see it. They say Las Vegas has a bevy of young, gifted players on its roster, and the Raiders added to the group by taking three receivers in the first four picks of the 2020 draft, something the Packers didn't do. I don't get why there's why a lot of Raiders fans are so eager to throw Derek Carr in the trash. I like, I, I kind of like He's Derek had a Carr. couple good seasons. It's not like he's surrounded with the best playmakers yeah. and the best teams or the best coaching staffs and GM. I don't mind uh, Carr. Andy, where's number four? Number three, they say the Indianapolis Colts, a potential spot for Aaron Rodgers. I think that's one where the, the contracts match up. Contracts, where they don't really yep. have a, a young quarterback they're grooming, and Rivers is on a two-year deal. Yeah, and he's got a phenomenal running back now in Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. This one I can see. Number two for potential landing spots for Aaron Rodgers, the Denver Broncos. What, does, what Dep- did John Elway do? Rejuvenated Peyton Manning, got him a Super Bowl. Depends. If Drew Locke doesn't look good in the next couple of years, I could see it. Yep. But well, I feel like they, they drafted Drew Locke for a reason, right? True. You've already seen it happen, though. He brought in Peyton Manning. John Elway did for the Broncos, and it worked out pretty well for him. And listen, Denver's loaded with talent, too. they got a ton of weapons. But I guess... I mean, you would say there's quite a bit of a difference if Drew Locke is a decent quarterback and what you thought of Tim Tebow. Yeah, Tim Tebow stunk. He's, hey, only a quarterback drafted by the Denver Broncos in their history to win a playoff game. Yeah, one playoff game. That's God's gift to the Broncos organization. Here's one playoff game for you. No other quarterback drafted by him won one. <laughs> the reason why People Tim, forget Elway drafted by the Colts. Tim Tebow hated the devil so much, that's why he threw the ball at the ground so many times. And finally, because he's trying to hit him, and finally, the number one landing spot for Aaron Rodgers. This, it just makes too much sense. The New England Patriots. The mad genius, the mad scientist, Bill Belichick, just grinning ear to ear. Rodgers which, will be mine. The new I know we 12. only have a couple minutes here, but which places do you think would be the worst for you to see him wearing their jersey? I would throw up if he was wearing a Vikings jersey. I would throw up if he was wearing a Bears jersey. And... Patriots. I would. I would. Part of me would like it just because it would be just too. It would be like the mind meld of two geniuses meeting together. But I still would vomit everywhere with the Patriots. I think I would be sick to my stomach if the Packers are in the midst of this uh, change in scheme and copying the San Francisco 49ers. And then in two years, he goes to San Francisco and wins it all with Shanahan while Lafleur flutters around eight and eight. <laughs> That would make me sick. Oh, my gosh. Airing on ESPN is a 10-part series. It's called The Last Dance. It's all about Michael Jordan, the 97-98 season. And then everything that, you know, happened before it leading up to those points. That's why I'm so glad we get to welcome in this guy. He's with the Bulls from 1988 to the year 2013. That would be Eric Helland. Eric, good morning. How are we doing today? Ebo, I'm doing fine. How are you guys doing? 
we're going a little crazy right now just because of the lack of sports, Eric. We're on day 54 oh. right now. We're talking, are the Packers going to trade Aaron Rodgers? That's how far we've come. <laughs> You're in fantasy land there. <laughs> Eric, I mean, did you ever think that Brett Favre would be a Minnesota Viking? Only my nightmares. <laughs> well, that another nightmare could come true because we see a guy yeah. for the Star Tribune in Minneapolis writing about how Rodgers could be a Viking, and then he threw this in there too, coached by Brett Favre. About fell out my chair. Oh. Yeah, you know what? That's how pathetic the Viking fans are. That's scary. That is scary. A lot of wishful, lot, lot of wishful thinking. And they, they they are pathetic, man. I like I loathe the Vikings. I loathe them. All right, Eric. So yeah. I'm watching the last dance last night, and I'm I keep thinking about you the whole time. And then there was an episode, and I want to get your take on the Dream Team and Isaiah Thomas and everything that you know when you were around, if you were privy to any information and whatnot. But there's one episode, the second one last night. They're talking about Jordan and his gambling, and then I go back and I remember the episode of episode four. At the end of that, where he, Michael Jordan's looking back on the team plane, yelling, hey, Cheesehead, what do you think of that? Yeah. And he's yelling at you. You lost money to Jordan then, eh? Yes, I did. He, that- but he gambled everything, though. I mean, it's, you know, there was a scene, I think, in, in Five, where he's gambling in the trainer's office with the security guards from the United Center. Okay, I have to ask. So, do you know those secu- did you know those security guards that were there? Absolutely. Who's the guy with the mullet perm? That guy looks like I want to. I want to hang out with that guy. <laughs> uh, he's solid. <laughs> I don't think he works there anymore. I think he's retired. Most of those guys are retired or were uh, uh, Chicago coppers. Yeah, I'm looking at the guy's haircut. I'm like, first of all, that guy looks like he knows how to party because he's got the business yep. in the front and the party in the back with the mullet and his permed. And then he's taking down Michael Jordan in some bets with throwing yep. a quarter to the wall. Was that just an everyday thing with MJ? Hundred percent. He he wanted to gamble everything. I mean, it. You know, for him, he was just that competitive. But I think, it, I think, you know, instead of looking at the gambling as such a negative thing, it's it's really kind of a window into how his brain worked. I think is he was he was competitive in everything he did. I mean, I don't think. You know, again, I if he could put a dollar, if he could put some money on it, he was going to because it kind of got him going. That's funny. I don't take it as a negative light at all. I take it as, I mean, our show no. was built on gambling. We started we started a yep. gambling show years ago for an hour. We were built on it. We predicated on it. So I love the gambling aspect of it. What? So did you guys, You did you, Eric Helen, and then Michael Jordan just bet solely on the Super Bowl and then you had to pony up to him when the yes. Broncos beat the Packers? How did that come to be? Can yes. you tell us the story on it? Well, if, as I recall, I mean, obviously, I'm the only cheesehead in the, on the on the uh, in the on the team. So I think obviously he knew I was excited about the Super Bowl coming up, and he asked me if I wanted to bet. So I, you know, so I bet him. I bet him, <laughs> and I had a pocket full of uh, uh, per diem money, so I I was pretty bold. The hundred bucks. <laughs> At least it was per diem money, you know? It's like, oh, that's, yeah, all, that's exactly. all the bulls. Thanks, Jerry Cross, for that one. All right, so yeah. when, when they went to uh, Barcelona for the Olympics, did they invite any, uh, like, shrinking conditioning coaches with them? Did you happen to go along with that, or did you stay stateside? Nope. I had the, the year before, ironically, the year before in 91, uh, Scotty had had a really good summer. And late in that, year, late in that summer, um, Nike was going to do a promotional tour. And the two guys who were, who were promoing their force line were Charles and David Robinson. Well, the Spurs were for sale. And the Spurs would not allow David to play in these exhibitions. So at the very last minute, Nike asked if, uh, if Scotty would take his place. Well, this was late August, so we're only about six weeks away from the start of training camp. 
And Pip said, well, I'll go, but only if I can take my, a strength coach. So I went to uh, Europe with Michael, or excuse me, with Scotty, um, uh, David Robinson, and Charles. So, wow. again, we were there for two weeks, so that was kind of a neat thing. And, again, we were in Barcelona because, obviously, we were promoing and you know, kind of getting ahead of the uh, Olympic stuff you know, for, the ne- for the next year. So I went in 91 with those three guys, but uh, I did not go in 92. Wow. We're, we're, bu- we're busy getting all our, all our guys ready at that point. So well, That's incredible. And- when, you're, when you're with those guys training for whatnot, over, well, I mean, what was the scene like overseas hanging with those guys? Oh, it was, it was incredible. Well, you know, again, it's, they, they still knew the NBA players. You know what I mean? They knew who these guys were, especially Scott, because we had won the title in 91. Um, so they were recognized, but not anything like the U.S. So it's just kind of interesting to see these guys moving around and kind of got people would look at them because obviously they're, they're taller than average. Oh, but yeah. um, it was not, it, it was more of a curiosity as, 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 and less of a, immediately recognizing all those guys. Oh, definitely. Eric Helen joining us right now with the Chicago Bulls from 1988 to 2013. That's insane that you were with them for 25 years, man. So, Eric, since you were there, a part of all the winning and whatnot, I think um, I forget exactly who it was that said it in the documentary, but it was one of the reporters saying that he thought the 91-92 Bulls team was the best basketball team of all the, the title-winning teams. In your experience hanging with those guys and training with those guys and seeing all the work put in and you know everything that had won on the court and whatnot, in your opinion, what who was the what was the best team of all those years that you were around for the the two three peats? Uh, I still think it was ninety five ninety six. I mean, if if nothing else, I think you know there was the confidence there that we had the talent to do it. MJ and Scotty were kind of at probably at their peaks at that point in time and. But additionally, you know, we had the, the momentum of Michael coming back. And that was just such a huge shot in the arm, obviously. And I just, I think there was a sense of purpose that year. That was the year we won uh, 72 games. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, we just wanted to steamroll people. And uh, I just think the reaction around the league was pretty interesting. I mean, we would, we would go to warm up and there's, if you watch an NBA game, there's kind of a typical rhythm of what people do. And, you know, guys come out. 15, 15 minutes or so before the game starts, and they're taking shots and doing whatever. Well, everybody usually just kind of does their own business. But, you know, at that point, with a second three-peat, especially 95, 96, you'd see teams literally, they just stop and watch us warm up. <laughs> and so it was kind of ironic. You're just looking at that going, man, this game, we got this game. So could because you, these, guys, these guys are fans. They're that's, just acting like fans. It that's was crazy. crazy. That's crazy to see professional athletes stop and be a fan. That's, and um, then wow, did and Michael, it was common. Yeah, did Michael Jordan and in, in that in one of the episodes last night they're talking about how Michael Jordan he just figured out how to win. It's not that he was playing; he just figured out how to win. Was that uh, was that something that was contagious on the team? Was the uh, was Jordan just he he found out just how to win the game? He wasn't playing basketball; he just knew how to win. Was that something that yep. you saw and that was contagious to the team? Well, I think that's something a team learns because if you kind of if you look at if the, the trajectory of those teams, so we'll go back to the early early nineties. You know, we had to get through we had to get through Detroit. So we had to solve that question of, of how do you overcome this obstacle, the physical play, you know, all the, the, the psychological things. I think it's interesting if you go back and watch the 30 for 30 on the, on the bad boys. Mm-hmm. And this is where Dennis fit in so well is Dennis was so well versed 
on the psychological aspect of the game, how to distract people, um, how to take them off their game and, and things like that. It was, I think that was, you know, can, there's a learning curve, I think, for every team. And obviously Michael being our best player, you know, and, but that was a group thing. Yeah. And if you, if you listen to what they said, BJ said it after we lost to Detroit in seven games in 90, that then two days later we had three quarters of the guys in the weight room and it was not prompted. <laughs> These guys weren't calling each other up and say, Hey, let's get in there. Let's do this. Yada, yada, yada. They, two days later, we, we lost on a Sunday afternoon in 90 that summer was probably the best summer I've, I've ever seen, period, because they came in with a sense of purpose and they knew what, you know, what the object was, yeah. where, we were, where we were going with this. But, you know, again, I, I think you know, it's a good question, that, but I think teams need to figure these things out. Sure. You know what I mean? They, they have to fail and then they have to interpret the failure. So, I mean, failure is such an important part of succeeding. Yes. Um, that people don't talk as much about as they probably should. Well, if you spend your whole and, life winning and not experience adversity, you're never going to appreciate, you know, the good times. Well, you can't win in yeah. that in that regard because again, how do you develop resilience? You know, resilience is 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 overreaching, failing, and then in, instead of letting it just demoralize you, you step back and you go, okay, I did this wrong. Next time, that's not going to happen. Yeah, what was it like so, personally for you, Eric, when you see two days later after they lost the finals to the bad boys and the Pistons, what was it like for you personally two days later? They're like, we need to get in the gym and get into the gym now. What What was your emotion? What did you go through? Oh, it's astonishing. But I think everybody had that. So we had lost to Detroit three years in a row. And so, like I said, that was kind of the, this, the, the you know, 900-pound gorilla in the room, if you will. So, like I said, I, I think that – each year we got a little bit closer and really was, you know, obviously MJ learning how to trust his teammates, but it was also, again, Horace and Scotty, who were probably our two other great players at that time, mm-hmm. um, them maturing because they were drafted in 87, 88. My first year, Horace and Scotty were, were rookies. And so really what you see is the ascendancy of not just Michael, but Horace and Scotty, and then and then the guys who played around him, Bill Cartwright, John Paxson, uh, Craig Hodges, B.J. Armstrong, guys like that, you know, they just kind of grew into it. And I think, you know, MJ set such a pace, especially in practices, that, again, they, they now understood what it, what it was required. What was required? Yeah, Eric Helen joining us right now with the Chicago Bulls from 1988 to 2013. Now, Eric, you had a very good relationship, a very close relationship with Scottie Pippen, correct? No, Pip is a great guy. Yep. So what was it like watching him kind of, I mean, not learn under Michael Jordan and become into his own? When did you think Scotty really finally became that player? Well, I think it was, I think it was that 89-90 season. Yeah. When, when we sweat, and, and certainly I think what defined him was, again, remember he had had the migraine in 89, or excuse me, in 90, so in 91, we come back and, and we, and we sweep them in four games. Yeah. So I, I think, again, I think the mindset, the confidence of that 90, 91 team was a quantum leap from, you know, again, 89, 90. So again, that was, I think to be so close, you know, get to a game seven um, mm-hmm. with the eventual NBA champs. Again, there, there was a resolve there. There was a sense of purpose. And, and I think, 
every great team, every team that succeeds has to develop that why. What, why are we doing this? And, again, that's something that you just don't flip a switch. I think that's something that, sure. you know, the, if you look at a lot of the great teams, I think, they have to grow into it. They have to learn. Yeah. Uh, Eric Hellen joining us. Right now. Eric, I have to ask you if, if you caught any information when you were there training with the guys after they had lost the third time in a row to the Pistons. Did they truly despise Isaiah Thomas? Could you pick up on anything of the people just not liking Isaiah Thomas? Well, they didn't. They didn't like any of the Pistons at that point. Do you know what I mean? I mean, as a as a group, you know, you kind of. I think they make mention of it. I think individually, you know, outside the floor, or whatever. But you know, I, I think it's it was such a contentious rivalry, um, mm-hmm. and they really they just at that point they could they could they could hit you. I mean, I, it, it's interesting if you look back. There was a there was a point. I can't remember who scored. Maybe it was MJ from the right wing. But you see, P, you see BJ basically get chucked out of bounds <laughs> by somebody. And I can't. I think it was the pit. It was either. You know what? That was New York. Because well, I mean, the Knicks tried to. The Knicks and Pat Riley tried to do the same thing. <laughs> I just but, can't imagine. Like I said, the, 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 yeah. the, the game was different, but I mean, it was. It was not just an emotional thing. It was a physical thing. You know, they tried to beat you down. I mean, if you're fast, if the guy you're playing against is faster than you are, then there's nothing better to mitigate that than to put a body on him. As a matter of fact, my first year, I'd asked Charles Oakley, who was with us still, um, he was really, he, he, he kind of had Horace's number in practices. And so I'd asked him in the weight room, I said, well, Charles, I go, I mean, how do you deal with Horace? And he said, well, he's, he's, he's taller than I am, he's longer than I am, he's faster than I am, he jumps higher than I do. He said, he's never clean. I never let him be clean. In other words, he's always got contact. So, Ebo, if you and I are doing something, you know, doing something, you're clearly faster than I am, but I've always got a hand on you. Mm-hmm. That gets real frustrating, but I can mitigate that speed advantage simply by doing that. So at that point in time, you know, when you could really put hands on people, you know, that's how they handle the MJs and Scotties yeah. and the Horaces. You know, they put bo- they they got a body on you and they, they didn't want to they, 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 they maintain that contact. Man, I love the physicality of the old, you know, the nineties basketball. Eric, let me ask you, I see this on CBSports.com. Bulls Will Purdue confirms that Michael Jordan did punch him and he says I wasn't oh, the, the only one. Did you did you live with Will Purdue or did you live with some of the Bulls? I did. So with I Will did. Purdue? Yeah, I lived with Will. Did he ever talk about getting punched by Michael Jordan? Well, it was right there when it happened. Oh, what can you can you tell us? Yeah, well, I, what they were doing is he was Will was setting a screen, and in practice he felt like MJ felt like Will was moving, which I I'm certain he was, but he was <laughs> setting a moving screen, and and Michael was like, you know, knock that bullshit off, and he did it again. He goes, do it again, and I'll I'm gonna pop you. And a little while later, he did, and sure as sure shit, he did. He popped him again. <laughs> That's so, insane. Like I said, it was you're sitting there going, okay. But again, if you if you look at it, they when we were scrimmaging, and the and the assistant coaches were officiating, we were keeping score. He had to win. So if you were cheating, that that you're, that really that angered him. Yeah. Man. And so, like I said, that was. And he did that happened again. That's just who he was. Sure. He just 
There's no, he did not have an on-off switch. He was just on. In the documentary, they made it very clear that it bothered Michael Jordan, that he was being portrayed as like, you know, a bad individual, a media kind of spinning their own narrative despite not knowing all the facts. I mean, they do it constantly. Yep. Is that, I mean, you, you were there, you saw it. Michael Jordan, was he a bad guy, Eric? No, absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. You know what? But again, he's got a personality that makes him, I, I think, the greatest player of all time. That, that competitiveness is, there's an edge to it. And that edge is always there. Speaking of edge, you know, so, I have to ask you. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, continue. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that edge is always there. So, I mean, if you look at him and go, well, he should just be a normal, everyday guy, that's unrealistic. You know, I think you go back and look at some of the commentary and some of the things uh, that came out about Kobe. Kobe was so similar to Michael that it's, it's, it's kind of spooky. And he emulated Michael, you know, mm-hmm. down to – his voice inflections and his mannerisms and everything else. And, you know, these guys, they're not normal guys. And if they were normal guys, they wouldn't be Michael Jordan or totally. uh, Kobe, Kobe Bryant. So, you know, like I said, I, what do you want? Yeah, I mean, it's know? the ultra-competitive. I mean, you get, that's how you get to that level, right? You have to have that drive. 100%. The, yeah. 100%. And so, honestly, I, I don't know of anybody like that other than Kobe and Michael. Yeah, the gear is just one gear, like you said last week, one gear, and yep. it's all out. Yeah. Did Jerry yep. Krause, the GM, was he always trying to rib Michael? Was he always trying to just break up the Bulls? No, no. There's a no, documentary no, no, no. painting him in a bad light. Well, I, I, it's an, I think for everybody there's an incomplete light. So what you're getting yeah. is a – you're getting, like you said earlier, you're getting a narrative. And I think it's easy to – when you look at a story – you know, it's most of your stories involve a good guy and a bad guy. And so in this case, you got, you know, the players and Phil, and then you got the bad guy on the other side, which is Jerry, but that's really not the reality of it. That's not the case. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Jerry was just a kind of an awkward, socially awkward, uh, kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And like I said, he would say things, I think that would irritate Michael and, Again, this goes all the way back to them not allowing Michael or not wanting Michael to come back and play in, I think it was 85, 86, when he broke his foot. You know, Michael was that competitive. It's like, I don't want to be told I can't do something. (laughs) Um, That drives him. That makes him want to do it more. Um, So I think, you know, that relationship soured little by little over time. Um, But Jerry was, think about it, and what, Jerry built everything in that yeah. in that organization outside of Michael Jordan. Yeah, and you know that's not his fault. No, and, yeah, it's crazy you to look see at, him paint that narrative like he's like the bad guy in the story. Yep. Well, again, rela- you know, relationships at that time, relationships were deteriorating. Sure. But that was everybody was involved. Everybody was involved in that. Michael, Scotty, Phil, Jerry, Jerry Reinsdorf. I mean, it just. Again, it's, if you think about the egos involved in what's taking place, and it was pretty remarkable to keep that together even that length of time. Man, Eric, if you that's not the that that's not the easiest thing in the no. world. So, you know, again, I, I just I just don't think you know like any other relationship. You know, if, if a marriage ends in divorce, it's rare that it's just one completely one sided. Of course. There's two sides to every story, and, oh, and Jerry had some. Jerry had some very positive qualities, and you know everybody in the building had positive qualities. It's just sometimes the relationship deteriorates. Yeah, I mean, you butt some heads once in a while and whatnot. Speaking of butting heads, before I let you go, Eric. By the way, you could 
If you wrote a book about this, I'd be one of your first guys to buy it, dude. This is like <laughs> the stories are incredible. Tony Kukoc, he's in the Olympics, Croatia. They're yep. dominating him. Like Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen are going everything they can do to just masculate yep. this guy. And then you know the finals, they beat him again, yada yada. But then he's a bull. What was the relationship like with MJ, Scotty, and Tony Kukoc? Well, I, so if you pay attention, if you really watch the story, I think what's, first of all, what's kind of remarkable, Tony was completely blindsided by that first game. He had no idea that they harbored that kind of animosity. Tony had only been to the U.S., I think, once. And I don't think he had met MJ and Scotty, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, so he was completely blindsided by that first game. So it was kind of a shock. Um, in the second game, if you recall, I think he had 16 and nine and nine assists. Mm-hmm. He played really well. And I think for MJ and Scotty, the fact that he was resilient enough to come back in that gold medal game and actually play a good game. Uh, I, I think they admired, they said, okay, maybe this guy does can play. Um, so when Tony came, you know, it was, there was a little bit of that. Well, he's, he's, He's Jerry's boy and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and I think there was a little bit of that there. But very quickly, Tony's a good person. Yeah. And he's a, he's a funny guy. He's a good teammate. Um, his adjustment was on the defensive end, really. You know, Tony did not understand how to play defense. And, and it really just wasn't a priority. And we, were, we had always been a very defensive-oriented team. And uh, – he struggled a little bit with that piece of it. I know Phil was frustrated with him quite a lot, um, but he got better and better. And, and, again, it's interesting to read between the lines that he, Scotty actually was really, really patient. Um, Michael, not so much, but Scotty <laughs> was very patient as a teammate. Um, Scotty helped him a ton defensively. You know, he would talk about rotations and where Tony had to be, and if, if a guy got a bucket on him, he'd, he'd, he'd explain what you know what he needed to do and what yeah. his, where his help was was coming from and, and those kind of things so you know scotty was really he scotty mentored him you know as contentious as it was during the the olympics once you become teammates all that bullshit goes away yeah if he can help you if he can help you win and he competes then he becomes your brother yeah and so that went away that went away really quickly Eric, that's awesome, man. So um, before I let you go, are you going to join us next Monday again until the series is over? I hope so. Absolutely. My man. All right, Eric, before I let you go, how is the documentary living up to the reality that you lived with your 25 years with the Chicago Bulls? Is it is it spot on so far? I mean, obviously, like Jerry yeah. Krause is painted as a villain, but how has it been living up to the reality? Well, for me, it's easy because I think what I'm able to do is look at a clip and contextualize it. In other words, I, I remember all the things that were happening at that time when the cameras weren't on. So for me, it's really easy. So um, I think if I'm a fan watching this, I guess the only thing is it's very, and it should be, it's very Michael-centric. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the story has so many other layers. I mean, it's, if you look at the, the, the guys who developed around him, you know, I mentioned, you know, like a Will Purdue and a B.J. Armstrong and the value of a Bill, the value of a Bill Cartwright, you know, the value of a Horace Grant, um, John Paxson. I mean, it's it's, you know, again, it's very Michael centric, which is that's a great, amazing story. And that's the story should be told. But again, I, I like to pay attention and remember, like I said, the contributions of 
and the layers of contributions kind of up and down, yeah. up and down the ladder was, is, is really a fascinating story. And, you know, they go back and I remember, you know, I think it was uh, game seven, which I think will be coming up. Judd Bushler, Steve Kerr, Tony Kukoc had huge games in our game seven in 98 against the Pacers. And that was as close to being eliminated as we'd ever been. That was the first game seven we'd had during our championship run. And the Pacers were a really talented team. And they had everything from frontline toughness to, um, you know, shooting and guard play. I mean, they were, they were really a talented team. And they were coached by Larry Bird, who was obviously, <laughs> he's a tough, he's, he's a tough SOB. Larry so, Legend. you know, like I said, yeah, that was, that was, a. That was a hell of a series, but like I said, I to me, I, I remember not just the MJ part and Scotty parts and stuff like that, but again, the layers of guys who contributed and yeah. you know how they how they worked in the background, and you know it's you got to have all those pieces in place. Man, I'm telling you, Eric, I appreciate your time. If you wrote that book, man, I'd buy it right away. That'd be on like Oprah's number one book of the month club or something, whatever she does. Oprah's book right there. Eric Helen writes it. I'd be all over it, brother. I'd be all over it. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Eric. Oh, I beautiful. It, I appreciate it, man. We'll Absolutely. talk to you next Monday, okay? Thanks, Ebo. Take right. care. Have a good one. Take care. Good stuff right there. Eric Helen with the Chicago Bulls. 25 years, all the winnings. I love the stories. That guy's awesome. Another guy that's seen it all. He's seen some things. Cult <laughs> hero, the legend, Seth McClung, Brewers icon. <laughs> What's up, Seth? How are we doing today? What's, go- What's going on, guys? I'm, I'm great. I, that other guy sounds really interesting, too. Well, I mean, we got two. We got two different like legends on the show today. Eric Helen was with the Bulls for 25 years as their strength and conditioning head coach, so he was there like training Pippen and Rodman and all the winning and seeing Michael Jordan, the competitive nature. And then right here, I got the guy that helped the Brewers into the playoffs, Seth McClung, the man, the myth, the legend. Seth, I see in your well, Twitter, I, you you were at a restaurant today. You yeah, you were at a restaurant today with table service. What the what? What? With table service, yes, the world, the world's opening up again. It's great. Well, how is this? I, I want to be there. Where was the invite, bro? I would have flew down to Florida. Buddy, come on down. It's eighty degrees. We're actually we're gonna go to the beach after this. So, um, I know people listening in Wisconsin. I know you guys have had a tough time with the coronavirus outbreak down here in Florida. It's a little bit different. It's not as, it's not all over you. Uh, and then again, you just got to be smart. You got to be. We're gonna stay six feet away from everybody. I got my. My girls are going to do their homework on the beach. You know, we're not actually going to be going around and, like, tackling other kids or anything like that. But <laughs> it's just really nice to get out of the house and uh, just just kind of do something outside of, of the square footage of my home. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Here in Wisconsin, they even closed their national parks. Now they did open them back up. And something that I was really jealous, are you a golfer? Do you golf, Seth? I, I can. I'm, I'm not terrible at it. I'm not great at it either. I mean, but, I, I, don't uh, I con- tend to get more swings than my partner. So I don't consider myself a golfer. I consider myself a drinker who tries to golf. So that's like my right, golf game. Right. They finally reopened the golf courses, and then the, for a while they didn't let us have carts. Now we finally got carts. But we had uh, a Pat Richter, his name was. He's a Wisconsin football legend. He called in from Florida a couple weeks ago live from the golf course on a cart, and he made us jealous. What has it all been like with the COVID-19 lockdown pandemic? What has it been like for you in Florida? Seems pretty easier. Well, well, it, it, it is in the fact that it's 85 degrees every day, uh, <laughs> and we're outside. We walk around on the streets and things like that as far as like doing your walks. Uh, but they did shut the parks down for a while, and they, they did. Some golf courses shut down. Some didn't. Uh, 
but it, it was really hard because everything else shut down. I mean, all all of the touristy stuff or, or the, the everyday stuff that you would do in Florida basically shut down. And then they took the beaches away, mm. which I think was an overreaction due to the spring break people who really aren't Florida beach people. It's, it was just tourists. Yeah. And, um, you know, because they were showing Clearwater Beach. Well, down here, we don't even go to Clearwater Beach. That's not where we go. We, <laughs> not, nobody even goes there. Because a bunch of tourists, a bunch of 18-year-old kids. I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. Yeah, so, no one wants uh, to. No, no. You just got to be smart. You, you got to wash your hands. You got to bring hand sanitizer. You just got to be smart, guys. It's just, it's just like it's, it's one of those things. If, if it's a dangerous situation with a whole bunch of people, just maybe not right now. Yeah. You know? It's called just don't be an idiot, right? Use some common sense. I think yeah. it's pretty easy. Don't, natural, natural don't be Ken Maka, right? You know, don't I, be Ken Maka. Don't be an idiot. <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah, never. Never be a Maka. Yeah, <laughs> right, Seth, I have to ask you, man. With, so let's go back to your playing days with the Brewers and whatnot. Let's say that uh, – let's just do a little you know, scenario here. Let's say there is a pandemic, what's going on right now, and the MLB, they come up with this idea, and they say, we're going to have three different divisions, ten teams each. We're getting rid of the AL. We're getting rid of the NL. And we're going to play in Arizona, Florida – and Texas, what would Seth? And you're gonna to have to be away from your family for eh, maybe you know four months. You're gonna to have to quarantine and then just play baseball. What would Seth McClung say to that idea? I, I mean, let's play. I mean, I, I don't. I like playing, so I, I wouldn't have a problem with that. <laughs> um, you, you know, I think the logistics of playing in in stadiums with fans and things like that right now are, you know, it's not it's not feasible. But you, you have to sit there and think that you've got to keep the industry going. And if there's an option to continue to do that, I mean, this is your livelihood. I mean, we are, as professional athletes, blessed to play a sport for millions of dollars. Let's not screw that up. So uh, if you've got to make a sacrifice to where you, you don't see your family as much or you've got to make a sacrifice, we're already making sacrifices. We make sacrifices with our body. We make sacrifices with our, our, our mental stability, dealing, dealing with fans that are angry and whatnot. We, we make tons of sacrifices to make that money and live this lifestyle and get back out there and let's, let's make another sacrifice. And, and I think it's an opportunity, honestly, to make the game more personal. I'd like to see players mic'd up. I'd like to see on-field uh, microphones and things like that as opposed from all these stupid rules that they're trying to interject. Let's, let's, you know, you want to make the game shorter? How about we just make it more enjoyable? Like, like keep the game as it is, but let's, let's see the personal side of it. I think baseball does a terrible job of really marketing who the players are because we have such a diverse culture girl group. I mean, we've got people from Asia, Latin America, uh, the United States, Canada, some European. I mean, we've got people from all over this world that plays this sport, and I really think they just try to muffle them, and I just think that we could do a better job uh, and this pandemic could give us the the um, format to do that. Now, I actually had an idea Ooh, on how on how to do the season, where I think it would be amazing. Now, I, forgive me because I had my math correct. I'd written it, written it down like a month ago, but it, it just kind of get the idea with me. I thought you take all of the teams and you play all of the teams an even amount of times, and I think it worked out to three. Okay, and then you have your rivalry series, which means six. So the number would work out. All right, everybody plays everybody the same amount of times except for your one rivalry series with whomever that may be, and you get six games. Then they do a bracket playoff, okay? You, you rank them, team, the last-place team versus the first-place team, like the NCAA tournament, okay? Mm-hmm. One-game playoff, okay? You win a one-game playoff, so 16 versus one, one-game playoff, and then uh, the next round is best two out of three, the next round is best three out of five, and then the World Series is best of seven. And so basically, like, you have a pandemic year where every team who, no matter what, 
every team's going to play everybody the same amount of time, and then you get this exciting playoff format, which is which is something that baseball will never feasibly be ever able to do. But during this time, you know, it gives everybody hope. Like, say you're the Kansas City Royals, and, and you guys are 56 and whatever, or not that you wouldn't say you're in last place by 15 <laughs> games after all this is done. Well, then. Uh, no matter what, you got a chance because you could, you could, you're playing the number one team. Let's say it's the Yankees, and then you beat them in a best of one. Mm. Move on, and and that's kind of crazy. I thought this would be a great way to introduce new concepts, social media, new concepts, mic'd up, new playoff concepts in a way because nobody, nobody can really complain about it because you're not going to play a best of seven of everything. You're not going to play 162 games. You're not going to do anything. So let's make a splash with it, dude. You just rattled that off like it was nothing. I love. I'm sold. I, I'm sold. I'm totally all in, Seth. Right. Rattle it off like it's nothing, right. dude. Now, when it comes to the fans, why am I not in charge? I don't know. Same, bro. I mean, you're. I'll put you in charge. I'll get on the. Full, I'll get on the horse of Manfred. And we'll have you like just. We'll come get a plane. We'll get you at the beach, not Clearwater, not that beach, and then we'll go and we'll get you in his right. headquarters. So, Seth, I love your idea of. I love your idea, and we'll get some shorties with you too on the plane. I love your idea when it comes yes. to, <laughs> when it comes to like them going out and talking to players during the game because you know no fans. Sure, does it suck? Yeah. How often though, when you are on the mound? Are you paying attention to the fans when you were out there in your playing days? Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you a real personal story. Uh, I'm in Tampa, and there are maybe 450 people there. So it was kind of like the pandemic at that time. <laughs> and uh, it was a normal normal game. And there's not a lot of people. And I am trying to pitch, and I'm struggling. And I remember a guy yelling at me saying, Hey, Seth, just throw strikes. And I, I – I'm not lying. I literally stepped off the mound, turned and looked at him and said, I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm totally trying, dude. <laughs> I'm trying to do my job here, dude. <laughs> I, I, I am trying to throw strikes. But, you know, in a bigger situation, like in Milwaukee, it's not like that. The fans are so loud. It just it drowns everything out. So you don't really hear anything like that. Uh, what I'm thinking is, like, You've got you've got four other starters who aren't even playing in the game yeah. and who have no real possibility of playing in the game. Yeah. Why are we not? Why why are they not kind of like in the commentators' booth? Why are they not you know talking about this and that and whatever during the game? I mean, you know, you could take you could take two of them and have them commentating back and forth, and then you could talk to the you know like a guy like uh, Craig Council when he played utility guy who's got all that insight. You could talk to him in the first couple of innings and say, you know, what are you looking for right now to try to get yourself ready for a, a late inning pitch uh, or at bat or what are you doing? Like, talk about the game. Well, Seth, let me ask you, what, what, were you doing in, what were you doing in the bullpen? Like, you guys are just sitting around watching the game. Why don't we just mic you guys up in the bullpen? Well, I mean, I was looking at girls, but well, um, that's part of the experience. That, like... you're, you're, we're going live <laughs> to Seth McClure. He's like, well, look at the cannons on that chick. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, that 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 that's that shirt is. Uh, yeah, I'd like to give her a fastball. Um, Damn. Yeah, yeah, one down the middle. So um, <laughs> it is. It's one of those things where you know you got to pick and choose the right people, uh, obviously. Uh, but I think it would be very interesting to to see how that is. And um, this, this this type of situation breeds. Uh, uh, of, of of area where you can do that, you know. There's, I can't if I if I'm a player, I can't really complain about anything that we're gonna do new because it everything's new right now. Yeah, Seth, in your heart of hearts, last question before I let you go, man. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day after a break. I'm still curious of where you got this breakfast with table service because I want in. But when it comes to um, this season, do you think there's gonna be baseball? It's a billion dollar industry. I'm betting on yes. 
My man. I love it. And we love betting around here. Seth, appreciate your time, man, and have fun at the beach and have fun also being a teacher on the beach with your two daughters there. I appreciate that, guys. Hey, and thanks for following the Twitter. I feel like my Twitter's hilarious. So, so I do I get it out there. How can we follow you? Uh, Big Red B Ball 73. So that's me. And I try to answer everybody. I try to make jokes. Uh, I try to be funny. So you're hilarious. Uh, holler at me out there, and I, I love it. You're hilarious on there, dude. I love this one. I'm not even going to repeat you. it, but it's some good stuff. <laughs> thanks, Seth. Take care, man. We'll talk <laughs> to you later, okay, Thank brother? You. All right, brother. Take care. Good stuff there from Seth McClung. You got to check his Twitter out. It's awesome. I want to. Ah, I'm not even going to read the tweet. I don't want FCC to get on me. But Seth McClung, a legend on Twitter, a legend on the field. I like his ideas of just mic everyone up, let fans interact through or at social least media. Just trying new things. Just trying new things. I love Especially it. Especially because it's a season that's not going to be normal by any stretch yeah, of so the let's, imagination. Let's get weird with it.